I've heard the story of a priest who was being honored for 25 years at a parish, and they were having a retirement dinner and celebration for him. And, and one of the, the parish members who was a local prominent politician was invited to speak at this event. Um, but he was running a bit late, and so the priest got up and went ahead and started the event anyway, and went ahead and started sharing some of his reflections of the last 25 years. And he told them that my impression of this parish was, was made in the very first day, the first confession that I took being here. And, and it really had me concerned about the condition of this parish. This, this first person came to me and was confessing that he had stolen a TV. And then when, when confronted by it by the authorities, he, he got out of it through lying um, he was stealing from his boss. He had taken money from his parents. He had embezzled from his employer. He had had an affair with his boss's wife. And the priest in this first confession is thinking, man, what have I gotten myself into? This is one messed up place. And, and right as he was wrapping up, he was, he was concluding saying it's been a much better place, that that was not the true impression of of, of what was going on here at the parish. And about that time, the politician comes in and, and takes the stage to give his speech. And he starts with, I'll never forget the first day I met our priest. I was the very first person who was able to give confession. So the moral of the story is don't be late to church. No, not really. It is good to know what has happened before. When you get up to speak in front of a crowd, when you, we, when you enter into life, when you walk into a meeting, when you go into a classroom, knowing what has happened before and giving you some sort of context of why things are the way they are is so critical to our understanding of things. And that is why we are going through the story, why we are looking at the context that we have been given, the context of the story that we all find ourselves in. We're in chapter 2 of the story, and we're going through um, this version in particular because it gives us highlights and excerpts from the text uh, of the NIV and gives it to us in an overarching story. In 31 chapters, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, and we're all reading at the same spot and, and in, in the same track. Hopefully, you're reading through this. Hopefully, you've gotten through chapter 2. Hopefully, you've got the children's books, and you're reading with your children, and you're engaging with them as well as we go through the story. But today we're in chapter 2 looking at the story of Abraham. I want us to think about the different types of relationships that we have, the different, um, the different people that we're in, in community with, the, the relationships that we're in. Some of these relationships are very transactional. Some of those are your family. Some of those are very broad. They're your co-workers. They're your neighbors. They're, they're the Starbucks barista. They're, they're different people at different phases of your life and different contexts of your life, and you have a relationship with, with each of these. But many of these relationships only exist when you get something from the other person. If one person has something to offer, now we have a relationship. So if I go to Starbucks and the barista has coffee for me, we have a relationship. If the barista does not have coffee, we do not have a relationship. I once went to Arby's here in town and, and I ordered a roast beef sandwich, which is perfectly normal for Arby's, and they were out of roast beef. 
I don't know what else Arby's has, but there was no roast beef and so no relationship. This isn't working. It's not me, it's you. And then there are, there are closer relationships that we have that should not be that way, right? If I'm in a marriage relationship and it is only about what I have to offer, we're in trouble. Because I don't have enough to offer and I'm not consistent enough in it. If our relationship is dependent in what the other person gives us and that relationship is over if that person is not giving us what we need or what we want, that's not a healthy relationship. There's all kinds of directions we can go into that talking about relationships, but we need to be looking at our relationship with God. Sometimes we have this perspective of God, of, of what you offer me is what I am going to offer you, that, that our relationship is in some sort of contract. That if I'm good enough, if I step through the right, the right hoops, if I show up to enough services, if I give the right amount in the offering, if I, if I go to a small group, if I go through the story thing that they keep telling me to do, then I will be in God's favor. If I hold up my end of the bargain, if I jump through all of those things, then there is a relationship. But as soon as I fall on those things, as soon as those things are broken, then the relationship is gone. God is done with me because I didn't uphold my end of the contract. Our closeness with God or, or his favor to, toward us is, is based on what we do. We gauge our, our good graces that we receive from God on whether or not we measure up. We treat God like we're in this contractual relationship. If I do A, then he does B. If he does C, then I do D. And, and once one of those falls out of place, then the relationship is over. Last week, last week, we looked at a very good creation. God created the world and everything in it, and he saw that it was good, and then he created Adam and Eve, and he saw that it was very good. We saw God, the creator, who created everything perfect for us. And then a choice was made by Adam and Eve to, to make themselves God, to put themselves as the wise ones, and then that relationship was broken. And while there are consequences to their choices, God doesn't leave them. They have to pay the consequences, but he doesn't abandon them. God is still a good God. No matter what they do, no matter the choices that are made, God is a good God. And God is still in pursuit of his created. Everything he has to put up with, you would expect God to bail. You would expect him to quit on us because time and time again, we make that choice that sets ourselves up as God. But he's still there. He doesn't quit on us. He doesn't leave. He still pursues us because our relationship with God is not based on a contract. Our relationship with God is based on something so much more. And that brings us to chapter 2. In chapter 2, we're introduced to this character, Abram, who is later called Abraham. And he is an incredibly important character in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is a, a foundational piece for us as we, we look at 
why we are the way we are and who we are, as we, as we understand our identity as, as followers of Jesus, understanding who Abraham is and his relationship with God is so important. There's 13 chapters of Genesis that he's, that he's mentioned in, and 75 times he's talked about in the New Testament. The Old Testament is very relevant as we read through the New Testament. For example, Paul says this in Galatians, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham, the man of faith. That our focus on faith in God comes from Abraham and the example that he had. Being able to read the story of Abraham and understand the story of Abraham gives us the context for the grace that we enjoy as followers of Jesus. Abraham plays a key role in the salvation of God. He's he's a big part of our story. And all nations of the world would be blessed through him. All nations. This is an important character. This is someone who plays an important role. Abraham is known for his faith. And there's a lot that we can learn from him through this. Chapter 2 of the story, which is Genesis chapter 12, opens with these words. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will be a blessing, and, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is how God introduces himself to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, leave this place, leave your family. I'm going to pluck you out of the crowd here, and I'm going to send you over to this other place. I don't really know why God picked Abraham. There's there's nothing in his resume or nothing that is given to us in Scripture that says, why Abraham? But God chooses him. And you'll notice here that God says something over and over. Six times he says, I will. God is the one that is doing something here. He says, I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. I will make your name known. I will bless your friends. I will curse your enemies. God is doing all the action here, and Abraham is just simply told to go. Go. And here's what we learn about God through through this. God is creating a a nation to bless all nations. Now, this is an important distinction here because God is not choosing a nation. God is creating a nation. God is starting something new. He's he's taking Abraham out of this place and putting him into this place, and he is building something from scratch. God is still the creator, and he is creating a people, and this people have a very specific purpose. It's to bless all nations. God is is taking something from nothing, and he's he's putting them together for his purposes. And so after seeing Adam and Eve last week, we would expect God to just close the door, to distance himself, but we see 
after this, we see a very different thing. We see God is getting even closer. God is engaging. God is pursuing, and he is continuing to be the creator. He is continuing to be the good God, and he is continuing to, to bless the world through his people. He's in pursuit of them. And this is God's commitment to Abram. And crazy enough, Abraham says, okay, I'll go. And so Abram follows and, and, and does what God says. Page 13 in Genesis 12, 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. He went. I think this guy's nuts. Because he's at home with his family, and this mysterious thing says, go somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you where. You just have to kind of go, and you have to trust me that it's all going to work out okay. I'm not going to give you the big picture. I'm not going to give you the results. I'm going to make this promise to you. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff for you, but you just have to trust that I'm going to do it. Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit more of an insight into this. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham had no idea what was going on. But he followed, and he was obedient. And so God plucks this man out of obscurity, and he tells him to go to this place, and he's going to do something good with him. But what's even crazier is Abraham is an old man, and his wife is an old barren woman. And he's saying, I'm going to build a nation out of you. You have no children. You have no extended family that, that you are over, but I'm going to turn you into something big, something that you can't even count, something as, as numerous as the grains of sand or the stars in the sky. And so Abram says, okay, I guess you know what you're talking about. It makes absolutely no sense. Surely God would have picked somebody younger. He would have, he would have picked someone who already had a bunch of kids. He would have picked someone other than this old guy that has no kids. But we see this theme throughout the story of Abraham, and we see this, story, this theme throughout the story of Scripture. God, is, God works through imperfect people, dysfunctional families, and impossible circumstances. God is taking this old man with no kids and says, I'm going to do something with this. The more we read about Abraham and his, his family, the story of Lot and, and Abraham's children that we later read about, and, and the whole story of Israel, this is one dysfunctional bunch. This is a messed up group, and God is saying, I'm going to do the impossible with them because it can't be anything about Abraham. He is not qualified to do this. He's not capable of doing this. He cannot do this on his own, but I'm going to call him into this, and I am going to be the one who is glorified because God is, at the, is the one at work through this. It is not Abraham and how great he was. He, he was not from the elite school with the great degree and, and all the great family. He's called, and it's God's purposes that are going to be seen through this. This family's a mess, but God's going to use them anyway. And then we get to one of the most significant 
foundational passages of really the, all of the Old Testament, I think. When God comes and makes a covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. God makes lots of promises to Abraham. And, and in chapter 15, he makes this initial covenant of, of land. But then this is where he really wraps up the covenant with, with Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham or Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. After you, for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I, will be, and, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenants, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. God continues to describe this covenant as something that is kept through, kept through circumcision. And Sarah, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, the mother of nations. And kings of people will come from her. Now Sarah has still not had a baby. And God is making this promise to this old barren woman that says, kings of people will come from you. What an incredible thing for Sarah to digest. As God is making this promise, kings, not just a child, kings, nations, a great people will come from you. And she sits there without child, past childbearing years. Now, there's a whole sermon we can preach just on this covenant here. But it's here that we see this interaction between God and between Abraham, and we see this forming of a covenant. God gives him a new name, and he gives him promises through the form of this covenant. That he will be the father of nations, that he will be fruitful, that kings will come from him. And this is a covenant that spans generations. It's not a covenant that will just be found in Abraham's lifetime. It's a, it's a covenant that spans generations and promises that will be fulfilled through Jesus that we continue to see. We continue to see this covenant between Abraham and God. As we follow Jesus, it continues on in this story through us as followers of him. This is our covenant. This is the promise between God and us. Paul reflects on how significant this is in Romans chapter 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. So as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening of his faith, he faced the fact of his bot that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver 
through the unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being faithful, being fully persuaded that God, God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The final thing we see about Abraham is that God is looking for faith in a covenant, not perfection in a contract. God is looking for us to have this same kind of faith, this Abraham-like faith in this covenant that was made so long ago, a covenant that is just as relevant for us today. He's looking for us to have faith in that. He's not looking for us to have perfection in some sort of contractual agreement. He's not looking for us to, to jump through all these hoops. He's not looking for us to get through this list of things. He's not looking for us to check the boxes. He is not looking for us to be perfect. But he wants us to be faithful. He wants us to follow in this relationship with him. This relationship that is, is based on love and commitment, not on works. God doesn't interact with Abraham through a contract. He doesn't say, jump through these things and we'll be okay. We see the way God interacts with humanity changing here. What happened in the garden broke the relationship. Things were not going well. And God does something so amazing. He comes after us. He comes after mankind and says, I'm not done with you yet. He makes big promises and everlasting covenants, things that will not change because God does not change. God has declared himself permanently connected with his people. There is nothing that can break that covenant. It's not anything that we deserve. It's not anything that, that we can receive on our own merits. We don't deserve it. But God made the move prior to, to Abram even believing. God is the initiator here. God is the one who starts this thing. It doesn't take Abraham coming to God. It takes God initiating a relationship with Abraham. And Abram never saw the completion of this promise. He didn't see how it would all work out. He saw the birth of a son, but that certainly is not a nation. He saw a birth of grandsons that were a mess. He saw the birth of, of great-grandsons, but that is the limit of it. Then as we continue to read through the story, we're going to get through chapter, chapter 3 and see more of this dysfunctional family. But by the end of chapter 3, this great nation is a bunch of slaves in Egypt. Things are not going well. But God makes these promises to Abraham, and we see the fulfillment of these promises through Jesus. It was Abraham, Abraham's faith that sealed the deal on this. It wasn't him having all the answers. It wasn't him knowing the outcome it wasn't him jumping through the right hoops. It was faith that sealed it. Not his perfection. Certainly not his perfection. And God did not give us a, con a, a contract to live with. He didn't give us this contract that we have to follow perfectly. As, as we read through Scripture, we pursue it out of faith, not out of a list of things to do right. It's not something to be followed perfectly. It's something to be followed 
with faith, knowing that God is the one who's able to get it all done, knowing that it's, it's his grand vision. There's a few lessons for us to learn here. I want you to kind of reflect on, on what God is saying to you through this text, through the stories of Abraham and through the stories of, of his family. What is God saying to you? Here's a few of my observations. Follow what God says in spite of all the questions he hasn't answered. This is a tough one. Follow God, even if you don't have all the answers. God told Abram to go to this place. I'm not going to tell you exactly where. I'm not going to tell you exactly why. I'm not going to tell you what it looks like or what it's going to be like, but go there. And, God, and Abram obediently follows God into that. He doesn't have all the answers. He has more questions than answers. How often do we find ourselves in a place where God has called us into something and we do not know all the answers? We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know why this is the best plan, but we know that God is calling us to something. We go through things like the Sermon on the Mount and see these incredibly challenging things that Jesus is calling us to. Why do I have to love my enemies? How is that going to work out? Why? I don't have the answers to all of those questions, but God says go. And so I'm going to go in the best of my abilities, not seeking perfection, but faithfully being obedient to what God has said. He's not going to give us all the answers on the front ends. He's not going to give us a clear picture, but he says go. I've been reflecting a lot on this um, through, through the course of being here for a year, of, of thinking and working with the elders on what's next for this church. And the elders have said that we're going to be a place that's, that's about making disciples of Jesus who love God and love others. That's where we're headed. We're going to be a place that's making disciples. Now, what does that exactly look like? We don't always have a clear picture of what's next. We don't know what God's going to do with Montgomery. We don't know what God is going to do with each of us as individuals, but we are going to faithfully pursue him and do the best we can today. And then tomorrow will be another day, and we'll make those steps in that direction. And God does not give us all the answers. He doesn't give us all the definitions. He doesn't always give us a clear picture of what's next, but we continue to pursue him. We're not pursuing the church. We're not pursuing each other. We're pursuing him. And if we are all pursuing Jesus together, then we will head down this path together. And the journey will become clearer and clearer as we go. But we won't have all the answers. He doesn't promise us all the answers. The second thing is we need to obey in God's direction for the long haul. Abraham was an old man. He didn't see all the things come together, but he was going to obey God for the long haul. It's not being perfect for the long haul. It's obeying for the long haul. Faith is not a sprint. Once we get to this one point, then we're done and we've got it all figured out. Faith is a marathon. It's a lifelong journey of trying to figure this thing out. 
It's day after day after day making choices to do what God is calling us to do, being faithful in each of those small steps. It's a long haul that we go through. And the third is trust in the provider more than the provision. We trust in the provider more than the provision. We didn't have a lot of time to spend on every story that's in chapter 2. But we've got the story of Isaac, where, where God calls Abraham to sacrifice this son. Once he finally gets a son, he calls him to sacrifice this son. And God provides a ram for that sacrifice. God is a provider. And we do not trust in the provision that we see. We don't, we don't trust in, in the things that we can see right here in front of us. I don't trust my bank account. I don't trust my house. I don't trust my job. I trust in the provider. God is going to provide that. And so I trust in him. I don't know where I'm going to get what's coming tomorrow, but I know God is faithful. And so we trust the provider through all of this. For me, the story of Abraham is profound. It is something that um, we pursue. If we will pursue these things, if, if we really will follow God, even in spite of having all the answers, if, if we will really obey his direction for the long haul, if we really will trust in him to provide, it's really going to mess with your world. Because Abraham did not lead a comfortable life. Abraham did not live in a city. He lived in tents. Abraham was still not settled to the day that he died. He had not seen the cities built. He had not seen the nations built. He lived an unsettled life. So I first read chapter 2 of the story in um, January of 2013. <laughs> in January of 2013, I was not here. I was in Dallas. I was leading a small group. I was working on a staff of a large church with lots of resources, a multi-million dollar budget, and 20 staff members to work with. And that's where I was at in January of 2013. And I read the story of Abraham and I said, God, what do you want to do with me? Be careful with that prayer. God, what do you want to do through me? Abraham was faithful in following your call. What is your call on my life? What do I need to be doing? Am I in the right spot? What needs to change? God, what do you want to do through me? And this story in particular and the stories that we're going to read to come had an incredibly profound impact on my life. Because I read the story of Abraham and I saw someone who would step out in faith without having all the answers. He did not have a clear picture of what was going on. And for the months to follow, I was on a whirlwind of a journey. As God continued to place people into my path to say you were being called to something else. You were called to be in a different place. I don't have all the answers. It's not perfect. It's actually pretty messed up. It's risky. It's different. 
but I'm calling you to this place. And he put people in my path to answer those questions, to make it clear that God was calling me to something. But throughout that, I was continually praying, God, what do you want to do through me? Please don't let it be that. God, what do you want to do through me? And God used people like, like David and Peggy and, and Lee and Donna and, and Carrie and Troy and people who, who spoke into that. And in a whole crazy combination of people back in Dallas who, who spoke those things as well. It became evident that God was calling me to throw myself into this place. And I will tell you, a year into it, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a clear picture, and I'm still wondering what he's up to. God, why? Why, why are we here? Why are we doing this? But I continue to trust in that call of God, that if I will take this step today, that he will be faithful with tomorrow. And that as we journey together in this mess of Montgomery, as we journey together, we will continue to pursue God, we will continue to be faithful to his call, and together as a family, we will be praying that prayer together, God, what do you want to do through us? God, what are you saying to us? And then we're going to take action on that. And this will be a place that blesses other people. That God will use us to bless others. He's already doing that. He's done that with you. He's done that with people who have come in and out of the life of this church. God is blessing people through this nation that he has built. That's our story. Let's be standing. See, the story of God has not stopped. We don't get to the end of this and say, okay, done, put it on a shelf, the story's over. We are a part of this story that God is forming a people. God is creating a people. He's created that people through Jesus in us, that we are a new creation through Jesus. He's still the creator. And we come to him, and, and we're messed up, and we're dysfunctional, and we're not perfect, and God says, great, then I get all the glory. I can work with that. I can't work with perfection, I can't work with ego, but I can work with brokenness. And God calls us into that. And so I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to say, God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you saying to me? Pray that and listen for a couple moments. God, I pray that you will speak to us and that we will be a people who have ears to hear, that we will hear through your word, we will hear through each other, we will hear through this time together, we will hear you. Now I want you to pray another prayer, or maybe more of a reflection on that prayer. If God has shown you something that you need to do, God has said, this is what I want for you. It may be something simple. It may be, oh, I should have read chapter two. 
and I'm going to read chapter 3. It may be something as simple as that. It may be something like I'm going to go to Africa. Somewhere on that spectrum between those two things, God is speaking to you and calling you to something. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Ask God to show you what you need to do about it. Reflect on that for a moment. God, I pray that we will not be a people who just listen, but we will be a people who go. That we will be a people of action, who when convicted of something, we, we take that and we do something with that and are transformed by that. So God, I pray that you show us the action that we need to take and that we will be obedient in that. We're going to spend some time praying. And we're going to have shepherds down front and in the back that are willing to pray with you. You can pray with each other. Um, if God is convicting you of something, little or big, share that with somebody. Share that so that we can hold one another accountable to that. Um, don't just keep it to yourself. We're meant to live this in community with one another and live this together. But if we can pray with you or for you in any way, please come forward. Pray with your group leaders or, or small groups, friends, spouses, anybody else. Let's just spend this time in prayer and song.